You're listening to The Lisa Wentz Show. Thank you for being here. I'm thrilled to have you. Let's get started. Today's guest interviewer is Christine Berg. Christine is a designated Linklater teacher and the founder of Shine Creative Coaching, and she will be interviewing me today on I Don't Know What, but we will see. Thank you for tuning in, and Christine, you can take it away. Thanks so much for having me, Lisa. I'm so excited to get to interview you today and ask you all about the work that you've done uh, coaching professionals on their public speaking and communication skills. And I want to get right to it with this first question. Um, Can you tell us what makes uh, a public speaking talk great and how is that achievable for everyone? Hmm. Thank you for the question. It's a big one, isn't it? And there's so many variables. One of the things that makes it great is the timing of it, the purpose of it, the setting, the timing that we're in. You know what I mean? If it's hitting us, if the if the actual content is hitting something that's very timely that we need to hear right now, if it's solving a problem or giving hope or, you know what I mean? Because there's some, some great speeches or great talks will take a little time to resonate and, and become more important with time. Others could be very timely. So some of it is just simple logistics. But as far as delivery is concerned, if, that, if that's what you were mainly asking, um, if delivery is concerned, I think the core of what makes a great talk great, and this is something I touched on with John Barron in our interview, is that the person is speaking to something that they know better than anyone else because it's through their lens. It's their story or their work or their perspective and they've grounded themselves in that. And that piece is the piece that matters more than anything else. It does not matter whether the audience likes them. It does not matter if they think it's going to catapult their career. What matters is the piece that will live on beyond all of us. So that, that the content itself. And then as far as delivery is concerned, you know, some of us get nervous. Some of us don't get nervous. Um, I think that yeah, I think that tying in, grounding yourself, tying in your physical life with your mental life and your emotional life, that you have a triangle together that is very, very grounded, um, is what's going to make the delivery uh, meaningful. Mm. And you you said that you believe that this is achievable for everyone. Can you mm-hmm. talk a little more about that? Yeah, so what I meant by that is... It depends on the talks, and it also depends on what we consider is great, right? And that's different for different people because it's subjective. I have, I remember, let's tell a little story here. When I was at TEDx San Francisco, we had a speaker, Mel Robbins, who gave a talk, and I was blown away by it. And I said, she's going places. And I started showing some people the talk, and a few people just really hated it. Mel now is the most booked female speaker in the world. And she probably will be for a while. And that was her catapult. So why was that particular, that particular speech to me was great right away. I saw it, but I'm also a speech coach. (laughs) But it took a little bit of time to it to really catch on and resonate. But what she was doing was when she stepped on that stage, she was so nervous um, that she just went after her content and it connected to the audience with reckless abandonment. It was very clear that she had a very strong goal in mind 
and she committed to it 110%. And she did it with all the nervousness in the world. And uh, I think that when I, so the, the unpacking of it's achievable for everyone, there's different reasons I say it. One was the first reason, which is that you are a unique person. You have experiences that no one else has had exactly like you've had them. You've, ha- you've done your work and you've existed in this world in a way that other people have not because you're you. So you do have something to share just that is unique and compelling because it is coming from you if it's coming from a very authentic place. So there's that part of it being achievable for anyone, a great story to tell, a great speech to give, because it's filtered through you into action, so to speak. And then the other part of it is um, that anyone can commit to their content, no matter how nervous they are, um, no matter what they've been told. (laughs) You can show up at the podium or on that Zoom conference or wherever we are these days with full 110% commitment. And when you are committed to your content and committed to getting your audience to understand it and have them in mind, have, have it in mind that the content is bigger than all of us and that's what matters and that we need to get that, I think that's an achievable goal. And if you can't, and you're listening to this right now in, in, in the audience and you're thinking, no, I don't want to commit my content, then maybe public speaking isn't for you. I don't know. <laughs> but, but I hope this seems tangible. I, I hope this doesn't sound gray or, or too fruity for you, Christine. I understand what you're saying. And, you know, that, that makes me curious, though. It was just, you know, what you were just said, you know, maybe someone's li- listening at home and thinks, oh, I can't commit to my content. It's just the, the truth that sometimes people need to speak on things that are not the big um, ideas of the world, right? Sometimes they need to um, do very practical workplace sharing that might have to do with, you know, training others on something or um, updating the team on something that's not maybe um, as terribly interesting as their absolute favorite topic. What would you say to that? Right. Right. And just to be clear, I never said that every speech you give is a great speech. (laughs) (laughs) I never said that. Um, Just that's not achievable in any profession, I don't think. Uh, But but I said that you can deliver a great speech and that is achievable for everybody. Okay, so um, I think in terms of when are we the question, as I heard you, is when we are presenting material that we can commit to because it's part of our work, perhaps, and we must believe to some degree that the work we're doing or we wouldn't be doing it. And usually when people present at work, they're presenting their work. So there does need to be a level of commitment to that. Um, I think it's almost as if you're hinting a little bit, or at least it's landing on me as what if we're getting bored with our own content, or it just doesn't feel that exciting to us then we find another thing that is exciting. Maybe it's going to be exciting that particular day to commit to, I'm here this day in this moment. I don't have a guarantee that there will be a next moment. We don't have that. We don't have to sit in our past. I'm here alive in this moment, and I'm talking to these people, having a conversation with this group or these one-on-ones I'm having, and I'm going to find joy in connecting with them. I'm going to find joy in being really present in this moment that I might normally be nervous. I'm going to find a, some different ways of allowing myself to express myself. 
So I think there's always the opportunity to find something that will interest you and to be playful with it, even if you can. Does that make sense? Yes, I love that so much, right? Because it, it seems to me like what you're saying is that if you can find that that personal interest, and maybe it's only for, for that specific day in that specific moment, but if you find that interest to follow, then you, you, you can connect, you can commit, and it will also take you off of the track of thinking that brings you into your nerves and your fear and all of those other things. Yeah, and I think that, you know, the question of, would I, I mean, also, it sounds a little bit like addressing, would I rather be somewhere else? You know what I mean? Instead of, because that, that is a, I think that's behind a lot of different um, thoughts that clients will bring to me, whether they'd rather be somewhere else because they, they fear public speaking, they don't want to be talking to their board of directors, they don't want to be talking at the all hands meeting or the, you know, the things that, um, they're doing on a regular basis. Uh, that could be true about many moments in life. You know, I'm really enjoying this conversation with you. And I love being here right now, Christine. Yet at the same time, I'm sure there's a part of me that would rather be drinking a margarita in Mexico on the beach. Let's be honest. <laughs> so there's levels of, um, you know, I don't want to be here right now, right? But ultimately, this is where we are. And we can choose to make it a good experience. Or we can choose to make it a bad experience or a less than stellar experience. So again, maybe it goes back to choice. Mm, I love that. Can you talk a little bit more about this mindset work that you do with clients, um, especially when you're working with things like imposter syndrome? Mm -hmm. um, I think a lot of people feel that. Can you share a bit of that work with us? Yeah. The first thing I do, and I think any coaches listening to this probably will resonate. The first thing that I do is to get them to tell me as much as they can. Some of my clients will go very, very personal with me. Some will go a little less. It's really about what they're comfortable sharing so that I can sort of filter through what's important and what's at the core of what they're experiencing. Um, so I might ask questions like, when did this start? When did you start feeling like you weren't worthy? When did you start noticing that you feel like you're getting recognized for something that you don't deserve? And I'm speaking to imposter syndrome particularly right now because you brought it up. If it's something like an inner critic, I will definitely ask, when did this start? Usually people will answer childhood. Sometimes people will say, clients will say somewhere around late teens. Um, and there's different reasons for that, of course. But if we can identify the exact moments of trauma or exact moments of any kind of trauma, bullying, negative messaging, worse kinds of trauma, then when we can get it out of the subconscious and into the the, the front where we can really look at it, um, now we can get it out of the way. But if it's just stuck in its secrecy with them, then it's going to stay there and it's going to have power over them. There's a real, um, there's empowerment in getting the fears the criticisms, the self-criticisms, the imposter syndrome out in the open, speaking it out, the physical act of talking about it in itself will start to help to move the needle. It's almost like you're, it's almost like an exorcism or something, you know, you're bringing something literally out of the body. From there, um, I start, we start replacing the negative thoughts that are usually not based in truths to real thoughts. 
So let's say I have uh, an award-winning speaker or um, a very, very successful person in their field, and they're telling me that they, they don't feel they deserve it, or they always feel like a phony, or they're going to eventually be found out that they're not really as experienced, you know? We start replacing those negative thoughts with real thoughts. Well, um, you wouldn't have won this award if <laughs> you had plenty of competition in this, you know, and you won the award. That is concrete proof that you deserved it, you know, things like that. So it has to be, to unravel this, we have to replace the negative thoughts with real thoughts is what basically what I'm saying. I know I'm beating a dead horse at this point. Um, and then for others, if it's really d- deeper trauma and they're up for it, then I f- will help them pick apart the, par- per- the parts of their personality that um, they compartmentalized. When we experience trauma, technically that's usually something that's bigger than we can handle, right? And so as humans, we compartmentalize ourselves a little bit. So we'll stuff the traumatic experiences away into the back of the mind or to the side or however you want to phrase it. Another part of us will take over. Um, And that part I usually call the adult self, right? We make the decisions, we show up for work, we pay our bills with that self. That's the main decision maker of who we are. But we have other parts of ourselves that exist. You know, I have a creative side. I have an inner child. I have a side of me that sort of held the trauma and then things like that. And if you can, you can actually have a conversation with those different parts of yourself and let the stronger parts, the more nurturing parts, almost the, the maternal paternal parts of you take care of the part that has been holding the um, negative experiences. You start to find that it's really what you've been carrying, the antidote has been in your palm the whole, the whole time. You oh, may need somebody on the outside to help facilitate that, but really our ability to overcome our obstacles is always there. Mm-hmm. I love that you said too that you can let the stronger parts of you hold the parts that need that, need that nurturing. I think, um, you know, because that just implies to me so much softening, um, you know, both in the mindset and emotionally, but potentially also physically, which, um, you know, would all contribute to letting the person's um, creativity and voice and ideas come out. So, yeah, uh, um, I completely understand where you're going with this. So what this sounds like a bit of a process, though. What if someone... Um, <laughs> has to talk soon and they maybe haven't addressed some of these things but they they don't they have a very short timeline what would you say to those people Mm. um yeah like let's say and this happens occasionally somebody sort of waits a little bit to the last minute and says i've i've only got a week or two and i've got to give a really important keynote or i've got to do something like that right um the process is, is still the same to a degree. I think that meaning that we still have to work from a place of logic. <laughs> we don't feed into the, any kind of criticisms. I will not allow someone to criticize themselves in my office, and I tell them that right away. They can critique all they want. Critiquing is healthy, uh, but, but no criticisms. And so I think um, the answer really is that we look at their content we do a lot of work around breathing to calm the mind, to help fuel the voice, to help focus the brain. 
we uh, do a few run-throughs of their content and record them. I usually just do audio recording on Zoom. It's a, it's a full recording, but usually audio recording is enough. And as they hear themselves sounding better and better and better and more grounded and more relaxed and more focused, their confidence will start to lift pretty quickly. So if I only have, let's say, two sessions to get somebody who's feeling very nervous up to where they're going to feel comfortable going, going in to give, deliver that speech, we're going to do a lot of the work on the physical side. Because that, again, is something you get to have control over. That is your body. You have control over it. And it will give you a lot of confidence, like I said. Then the other part is I go very into quickly giving directorial notes. Directorial notes that are um, very easy to follow and make sense to the person on the receiving end. So directorial notes can be where are we pausing to breathe. They could be which content words are we stressing and giving a lot of life to. Um, are we changing the pacing on the first section versus the second section? And then again, if they they're recording themselves and recording themselves and they're hearing a better better results, a lot of that nervousness can um, start to subside because they have tangible proof that the speech is really starting to skyrocket. Make sense? Yes. Um, here's an interesting one. Um, what would you say, so say someone who's you know, quite talented, good at their job, um, you know, quite possibly um, in, a, in a leadership role, but doesn't um, maybe speak client facing all that often. Mm-hmm. Say that person is giving a, um, a bit of a pitch. Say they're giving a client facing pitch and they, they are struck by nerves in the moment. Mm-hmm. What can they do in the moment to, um, to bring the speech back? So if they're fearing going off the rails or like, oh, I think I'm sinking. What mm-hmm. could a person do in that moment to try and bring themselves back? Yeah, that's an interesting question because it's funny how, if you don't mind me saying, it's funny how a lot of the times we don't have those situations, meaning that client-facing is often it's a salesperson or it, it could be in the founder situation, a C-level, um, but or even a young VC. And I don't necessarily mean young in age. It could be young VC, period. Um because these are the people that are usually comfortable talking to people, right? But I have found that some people end up in a C-level position that they didn't expect to end up there. And <laughs> um, so I've noticed it in that arena that this does happen, right? So in any case, what can you do in the moment where you think you're going to be fine and then all of a sudden, yes, you're triggered and, and then something's your adrenaline rush is going through the roof? You have to take a step back in the moment, recognize that you're not breathing, that you're tightening, Relax your belly, start to breathe in through your nose very slowly and start and start letting your eyes take in information. What you don't want to do is allow yourself to go into your head and down a rabbit hole. You want to stay in the external space. You want to make sure that your your breathing is deep so that you can you can combat the original uh, the adrenaline rush. Sorry. And that you're really looking and seeing what's outside of you. Because I think what ends up happening in the panic stage is that we then start going into our thinking and we separate from our audience. It doesn't matter if the audience is one or one person or 1,000 people. We start to think things like, oh, this isn't going well. I'm getting nervous. I'm sweating. Can they tell? You know, and we start talking to ourselves. Uh, we don't want to do that. We don't want to go into the internal space. We want to go stay out in the external space. 
So you need to do that right away. And this 10 seconds, you can do this within 10 seconds in that moment to combat the panic. Don't feed into the panic. Do not tell yourself things are going bad. Just at all. That's not healthy um, for your mindset. And I think the other thing you can do is ask a couple questions. Give yourself some time to listen to the other person so that, again, you can be focusing a little on your breathing at the same time while you're listening to them and you're creating some rapport. They're feeling heard. You create then a, um, a relationship of rapport and um, sort of, how do I want to put this? Um, to make it like you're not sinking in a little boat by yourself, but you're actually with them in the safety boat. Does that make sense? Yes. And I love what you're saying about building rapport and finding connection. And you, I'm curious as to whether or not you have anything to say about um, maintaining connection over the a digital medium that we've all been so involved with lately, you know, because obviously over the past couple of years, we've been heavily um, uh, remote working mm-hmm. and that trend um may continue in some ways what what could we what have we learned about how to connect through these mediums the first thing that jumps into my mind because some people are now coming out of that some companies are going back to the office and and are face to face again with their colleagues the first thing that comes to mind is not i really want to say this to the listeners who are getting too comfortable on on zoom meetings and google hangouts Do not hide behind your slides. You have to be able to adapt. And I I have seen some people out there who are really just, they got too comfortable on the screen because it's easy to not be seen at all because you could just put your notes up or sorry, not your notes up, your slides up, or you're just in this tiny little space and people are mostly just looking at your slides. You don't want to get too comfortable there. You want to make sure that you're Intention really is about showing up, being present, and connecting to your audience and making the that adaptability yours so that you can easily then go into the boardroom in person when you have to or into the all hands in person when you have to. And it won't be so jarring for you to go back and forth between the two. Um, that's the first thing I want to say. Second thing I want to say is for those who don't really enjoy the uh, online meetings and the online presentations. I see this a lot in the sales world. Um, it feels like there's no way to measure how well it's going because you're not getting this kind of feedback we were used to before COVID when we were primarily in person. And there's a lot to unpack there. But one thing is to not be dependent on getting great feedback in the moment but to, as we were talking about before, stay with your content and the intention of your content and communicating that powerfully with your voice, with your presence, and be able to occasionally ask a question if you can't see your audience or you can't really um, feel the same connection with them through a device, through a screen. Ask a question. Am I, am I clear here and are we ready to move on? Do you have any questions at this point? Um, something like that, whatever your authentic kind of style would be. Those are the questions I would ask. So I know I can measure whether or not they're with me. Does that make sense, Christine? Yeah, I think that's so important, right? To use those um, 
auditory cues. If you can't see the audience, if you're not able to see your audience to hear, to, to invite them to speak to you. Fabulous. Yeah. Great tip. Um, I'm wondering then, what would you uh, say to folks who might be, might be sitting at home thinking that they'd like to start to work on their communication skills? Um, but then they say, oh, um, I may not have an opportunity to speak for a while. Um, maybe I'll call like later or maybe, maybe the opportunity won't ever come. Maybe it doesn't apply to me. What would you say to those people? It's better to start now. It's better to start now if you are not, if you don't have a lot of training in terms of presentation, public speaking, communication skills. Don't wait until all of a sudden you've got something really big to deliver, you know. Or you are working in a startup and you think you're working so much. A lot of uh, founders work twelve hour days minimally. Uh, you don't want to wait until all of a sudden you've got a meeting with Sequoia. <laughs> or another really big funding uh, VC firm or whatever and have a week to prepare. Start now. There's no reason not to, generally speaking. Yes, we have basic, some of us have very busy lives, but I wouldn't say put it off. I don't think, I think you're doing yourself a disservice if you're in a profession where you know you're going to be speaking in situations that are probably going to cause a little bit of anxiety and or you're just going to want to really perform well. So I think the, the earlier you start, the better. What would you like to leave people with? So if there's one message that you could share with your listeners, what is it? Lately, my main focus has been what I was talking about earlier, which is that being good at this this stuff, the, the public speaking, is not unachievable. It is achievable. And for those who are terrified um, or nervous, mildly nervous, the salvation is in your palm. You have it. You might need somebody else, like a coach, to help you unravel some of the um, false beliefs you have about that. But really, after, after being in the business of professional speaking for over 20 years now and coaching for 12 years, that's a real truth for me. Ultimately, you are the destination maker. You can do this. There's not a special number of anointed people that can be great speakers. You can be a great speaker. 